That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Welcome, Same Old Song listeners, to this episode for Lent 1. But at the beginning, we're going to do a little sous-son of Ash Wednesday. So this is going to drop on the 12th of February, which means you have two days till Ash Wednesday, slash get your CVS flowers for your one true love on Valentine's Day. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about Ash Wednesday, and then we'll get in Lent 1. So here we go. But Jake, just checking in at first, how are you doing psychodynamically? Same as I was 15 minutes ago. I'm just good. Depressed and a little anxious. Ash Wednesday, it's amazing. You know, um, I'm thinking about that. Like, you know, so what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to make everybody uh, the sign of the heart. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we're actually going to hand out funky Valentine's Days, I think, you know. Remember that you're dust, but yeah. you're my dust. Well, I don't know, uh, you know, we may have a broad listening audience. You may be an Episcopal clergy person somewhere or other denomination that has fallen into the uh, practice of mixing glitter with the ashes for Ash Wednesday, which is completely forbidden by the bishop in the Diocese of Texas. So we won't be doing it here. But since it is Valentine's Day, you know, if there ever were a time. The Bishop of Gramercy Park, it is completely <laughs> forbidden too. So doesn't anyway. Happen. doesn't happen there. And I'll be running off every heretic at the, the subway station. By the way, I just read a great story about the rector of St. Mark's in the Bowery, not far from you at all, who... No, she's a great person. Well, I'm talking about the one in the early 1900s, who was this guy named Guthrie, and he had all these pagan rituals and Egyptian sun god dances and all kinds of... And he was like ecumenical up the wazoo he was like some of the wilder parts of the episcopal church now but back in the early uh uh 1900s but his he, his bishop forbade him to continue these practices but his vestry supported him wholeheartedly because he was a charismatic and dynamic speaker <laughs> and the bishop said fine then i won't come to any confirmation so for like 15 years there were no episcopal visitations uh the only time the bishop came was when he had to bury a stuyvesant who still kept their membership there anyways it was fascinating. I'll send you the link. But all that to say is, this Ash Wednesday, we do get a little, you know, pagan out stuff in the world, Valentine's Day, mixed in with Ash Wednesday. So it is a good time to talk about how the world promises success and love and whatever, the Hallmark movie kind of life. And But real life is actually not that. Ash Wednesday is like getting down to the bone about what is actually happening and um, the reality of our own sinfulness, um, and this is you know not a popular message, but I think such a needed one that um, we have a real problem, which is that we continue to do things that hurt others, that hurt ourselves, that sabotage our relationships, that undermine our own mental, physical, and moral health, and we do all kinds of things like that. And um, and Ash Wednesday is not a day when we say, oh, that doesn't matter, and just you know move on with your life, uh, stay positive. Um, we say this is, yeah, this is actually true. You are a sinner and you have someone who has come to set you free from that. Um, and so Ash Wednesday is an invitation to 
to uh, roll in the mud a little bit, to get real about what's actually going on in life and and uh, speak the truth. So um, that's, I usually try to say something about that at Ash Wednesday. The liturgy does a lot of the heavy lifting for you, but anything you want to say about that before you put dust on people's heads, Jacob? Yeah, I would say we, um, you know, the ash is connected to a sense of re repentance and uh, indeed death. Uh, uh, and it's serious business. This isn't a joke. Uh, this is the, um, on one level, profoundly what Ash Wednesday does is it projects the inside onto the outside. You know what I mean? We're so uh, often using the outside to hide what's on the inside. But um, on uh, Ash Wednesday, we remind the world that I'm a person uh, with real issues. I'm a person with real problems. And I'm a person who doesn't just need a mulligan. I need total redemption because I'm going to yeah. die. And uh, this is why when we mark your head, we don't put a shiny star or a heart or any of that. We put uh, the sign where God has met us in death and conquered death. We put the cross on. And um, I encourage everybody to wear the cross uh, however long your conscience will allow. And I think it's a beautiful symbol and a witness to the world of our Christian faith. And uh, But then when you go home or when you go back to the office and you uh, wash it, um, uh, remember your baptism, because remember that ultimately Jesus, uh, the resurrected Jesus by grace, doesn't sully anyone, uh, but rather washes us clean in the waters of baptism and declares us his uh, uh, righteous, saved children who will be uh, redeemed and rescued from the clutches of death. And so that's kind of what I would talk about, what I always talk about year after year. But if you want to hear a couple of great uh, resources for Ash Wednesday, listen to our previous podcasts. And so, because now we need to uh, dive into... Uh, yeah, there's one. like seven years of Same Old Song Ash Wednesday podcast, so go back yeah, to the archives. And the readings never yeah. change. All right, so we turn now to the first Sunday in Lent. Not of Lent, in Lent. Lent is the whole season. We begin with Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Then the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Back to the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, verses 9 through 15. Uh, and as always, the reason you go back to the first chapter is because you get to the, um, the temptation in the wilderness, which is always the reading on the first Sunday of Lent. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're going to begin here with Genesis 9, which is Noah. And um, this is, this is uh, after the flood and God making a covenant with Noah with the, with the rainbow. I will never again destroy the earth this way. Um, I'll never again send a flood to wipe out everybody, and uh, and the rainbow is a sign of that. And um, that's the reading. What in the world does this have to do with Lent, with the themes of the day? Um, what would you say about Noah and the flood, and why is this sort of I mean, for the congregation? It kind of comes out of left field. We've not been talking about. Oh, we didn't read the flood story last Sunday. So what is the deal here? It was Elijah and Elisha last Sunday. And now we've got Noah and the flood. What is the deal? Jake, what would you say about this? Well, I think uh, one of the reasons is that this is the first Sunday of Lent. And, you know, Lent is marked by 40 days of uh, fasting and prayer. And uh, that um, marches us towards Easter. And uh, where traditionally there are baptisms that occur and things like that. And 40 days is a is a number in the Bible of like wilderness, of wandering and of formation. And so here you see this happening. And... Uh, with Noah on the ark and this preservation of all of these animals. And uh, 
And I love, so what happens here is, is that uh, God establishes a covenant with Noah. And, um, and if you notice, this is a, uh, basically a one-way covenant in which God makes a promise that he will never destroy the world uh, by a flood, by water again. <clears throat> and the sign of that covenant is a bow up in the sky. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, that bow is pointed upward towards God. And so this drives us to the cross eventually. And, uh, and we have to understand this essentially uh, on one level through the writings of 1 Peter that we will see um, later on in our epistle reading. But basically now, because of this covenant, that which uh, has been his naturally used to destroy, and believe me, I have two very old churches, and I know what water can do. Water uh, is an enemy of old churches. It destroys buildings. It is destroying my nave right now, As we literally speak. speaking. And so, and, and nave is uh, the Latin word for navy or ship. <laughs> And so, but now through the waters of baptism, we are all brought in to this new ship, this new ark called the church, uh, where we are redeemed and we are given an everlasting covenant that is sealed uh, uh, by water, but most importantly, sealed by the blood of Jesus. And, uh, and, uh, this is ultimately what this covenant is driving us towards. It's driving us towards the victory of Easter. Yeah, this Genesis reading to me is a little bit of a, even at the beginning of Lent, I don't know about you guys, but we'll be reading the Great Litany. It's kind of a heavy service. and uh, But even so, there's this uh, little ray of light, a rainbow, uh, actually pointing towards, uh, at the end of the 40 days that Noah you know, was in the flood, there's this new beginning, a resurrection of sorts, the new life starts, and it's not full and complete, and it ultimately will fall apart, but it's pointing towards Jesus for sure. And, of course, then we see in First Peter, uh, Peter explicitly references this passage and talks about um, the times of waiting and then the times of the flood and how Noah and his family were saved through the water. So it directly calls back that Genesis passage and says that baptism for us um, saves us not just is you know a washing of the body but through the resurrection we are baptized into the death and resurrection of jesus christ and so again it's this hopeful note at the beginning of lent and saying that yes we may go through these times of flood and death but there's resurrection for the christian uh most clearly in jesus christ but that is ours too through the waters of baptism so from the waters of noah to saying that's a point an arrow pointing towards uh baptism and towards the ministry that we have uh, in jesus and and so I think um, this first verse, verse 18, Christ suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous in order to bring you to God. I mean, that in itself is a whole sermon. And if you want to just talk to the people in your pews about the ways that um, their sins Gosh. have weighed them down and the things they're carrying and the burdens they can't really tolerate and all the stuff in their life and say that God's response to that was not just to look at you and say, wow, sucks for you, but to actually in the person of Jesus Christ suffer for your sins all of them, once for all, as we in right one, full, perfect, sufficient sacrifice, oblation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. The righteous for the unrighteous. It's not the righteous for the other righteous. You know, one good guy giving his life for the other good guys. It's uh, the righteous one gives up everything for the unrighteous. Why? Because he wants to bring you to God, and he has done this. And so that's this great, great news. The ark brought Noah to the top of the Mount Ararat. And yeah, great. But Jesus brings you to the top of the mountain of Zion where God lives in heaven um, and has brought you spotless and blameless to him. So 
there we go. And now Mark 1, Jesus goes into his 40-day period of fasting in the desert. And um, Can we just go back yeah, really quick to First Peter really quick? And so, you know, I do want to say something about like the importance of baptism and how this is unfortunately like much of American Christianity has been dismantling and downplaying the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that this is important, why this particular passage is important, is because, um, well, Lent is this season in which, I mean, we like really on a profound level struggle with ourselves. The point of Lent, I mean, we've joked about it in the past, you know, only eat chocolate and things like that. Or give up showering. You know, don't pay your bills for 40 days. Yeah. And so, and you know, that's all tongue in cheek. But I mean, really, the point of Lent is to put us into contact with our depravity. And the, the battle between the flesh and the spirit is real. And sometimes in this wilderness journey called life, um, we may wonder, is God actually for us? We may wonder if God is actually present in our lives. We may wonder if God's actually, you know, um, our savior. And this is what he's, uh, this is what uh, Peter is appealing to. You know what I mean? Build an ark. That's totally crazy talk. It's dry. You know what I mean? But it wasn't. And now this baptism, which this prefigured now saves you. The point being is is that prior to about 1850, no one would have ever said, uh, and this is is just a little church history for our non-denominational listeners. Nobody would have ever said they were a Christian because they made a personal decision for Jesus. Uh, They would have said they were a Christian because they had been baptized. And the reason why is because baptism isn't about my promise to God. Baptism is about God's promise to me and that he promises that no matter what, he'll never leave me or forsake me. Now we can talk about all of this and all of that, but that is like, that is the nugget of it. And this is what he's saying in this wilderness journey called life where things seem like God is not for you at all, uh, what you can appeal to is a word and a promise outside of you that came to you in something so ordinary as water that you can say, um, that you can say like, man, that is where I was saved. That is where what happened to me 2,000 years ago is applied to my life. And it has not only cleaned me simply from dirt, but it's given me a good conscience. And that I can always appeal and say, yes, Jesus is for me and Jesus will never leave me or forsake me because he's made all of the powers and authorities subjected to him in his death and resurrection. So I wanted to say that that's the power of baptism and what we're driving to. Yeah, and I'll like, you know, double down on that. Like this is the passage that says baptism saves you. Like if you're looking for a proof text to show that baptism isn't just like some random thing we do because Jesus told us to do it. Um, and so much Christianity is sort of like you save yourself by making a decision for Jesus. And then you baptize yourself yeah. with like a little garnish, a little <laughs> piece of lettuce on the side of the plate. But the main thing you did, it, you decided And here. This is no God has done it. And, and the passage begins that way. Christ suffered for sins once for all to bring you to God. He's the one that brings you to God. You don't bring yourself. And baptism shows that as well. Because Amen. Baptism here, as it says, saves you. Not something that you have done by your own efforts or trials. So. Listeners, push back if yeah, you like. Yeah, the email is jacobsmith it. at so. hottakes.com. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's Don't forget the dot. Yeah. So, Jacob but anyway. All right, Mark 1, 9 through 15. Yeah, so Jesus here in all the Gospels has a story. He's baptized by John, and then John the Baptist, and he heads into the, to the desert, and he's tempted, um, and... <laughs> 
Uh, he fasts for 40 days in the wilderness. Um, he, he was with the wild beasts, it says. I don't know if that was good or bad. Um, angels take care of him. And then he goes, after that, begins his ministry of proclaiming the good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom mm -hmm. of God has come near. We don't get the whole story in Mark because Mark is fast. Mark is trying to get a lot of story down quickly in as few pages as possible. Um, and he doesn't have the whole yeah. thing about like, the, the devil tempting him and the three times. And he doesn't. we don't get all that whole story here. Um, you can bring that in if, if you want uh, and mention the other Gospels. But yeah, yeah what are you going to say, Jake? Well, there's a way you can, and you need to bring it in, but the way you bring in the full story of this, the, the, the wilderness, the temptation story, is that you focus in on where it says, and the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. <clears throat> the irony of the ironies is that that is the, basically word for word the same phrase as when Adam and Eve are driven out of the Garden mm -hmm. of Eden into the wilderness. And so uh, uh, they're driven out as well. And so, but here you see the second Adam in action. And really on one level, Mark's brevity gives us like the point of what it's all about when you read Matthew and Luke's story. So often when people uh, preach on Matthew and Luke's story, they uh, interpret uh, a version of this is, that, you know, they give you the, the three steps on how to take yeah, on the devil. Quote scripture <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah, and all of this. And, you know, that's all wonderful. But that is not the point. The fact of the matter is, is that when part of the curse, um, when Adam and Eve were driven out, um, the, the curse was the snake said, you know, they were to be to become dust again. Um, uh, and then the, the job of the snake was to go on his belly and dust you shall eat. And the truth is, is that on your own before the devil, you're dust, you're, you're snake food. And uh, the point of this whole thing is to say, finally, here is the one, uh, you know, here is the one who is going to save us. Here is the one who will redeem us from our sin. Here is the one who will die for me, rise for me, ascend, and will come again for me. And this is why when he leaves the wilderness, he goes into the Galilee, the place of the Gentiles, because this is a foreshadow of what the whole ministry of the kingdom of God is about. And uh, it is fulfilled and it is come near you because Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom, God's people and God's place under God's reign. So uh, repent mm. and uh, believe the good news. And so that all of us who are the seeds of Adam uh, might uh, for the first time uh, do something that we naturally can't on our own. Yeah. And that is uh, believe what God has said. Yeah, so Jesus is going in as he's driven like Adam and Eve were driven into the wilderness. It's another way of him entering the fullness of the human experience, uh, going into the wilderness just like mm. before. So um, I think, you know, one of the things that um, that I find so powerful about this is that the week before, the last Sunday after the Epiphany, you heard God tell Jesus, you are my son, the beloved. This Sunday, you hear God tell Jesus, you are my son, the beloved. And both those phrases come right before Jesus goes to do something really, really hard. So... Last Sunday, it was mm. your, this is my son, the beloved, and he goes now off the mountain to basically go to Jerusalem and be crucified and die. And now, in Mark, he hears, you are my son, the beloved, in the waters of baptism, and then he goes into the wilderness, and he's fasting, and he's tempted by, by the devil himself uh, into a very dark time. So I think being a beloved child of God, as we are in Christ, it doesn't mean a life free of suffering, but that in the wilderness, God is with us, and we are beloved. And I think... Um, Knowing that is very powerful, and that there's not a single person in the pews that is not, in some sense, in the wilderness of some 
kind. And I think Jesus, Jesus goes to those places so that he can, when we are in those places, he can be there with us and for us. He's not far away in some uh, spa. He's, he's with us in the, in the wilderness. So I think there's good news for that in the, in the season of Lent, which is, you know, a time to look at your life. It's not to like force yourself into the wilderness. I think we're already there. That's why I'm a little bit kind of mm. skeptical sometimes of Lenten disciplines and things you give up. Cause I'm like, I've already given up a lot, like mental health. Just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, so we're so already good. living, we're already so living nice. in the wilderness. And so the message of Lent is to get in touch with that reality. And the most surprising thing is you will find that God is already there because, uh, because he is. So there Yay. we go. We did it. Ash Wednesday Lent, and, uh, we'll see you again on this joyful journey through the season of refreshment. Isn't it? Hmm. I love how you ended that. Yeah. It's good. It's a little ironic. Somebody's looking. Somebody wonders what you're doing today You know we crucified him, buried him But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away and yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.